Welcome to the Know God Podcast, our weekly discussion with Dr. Jeff Colburn, where we learn about Jesus and how we can develop a relationship with God. Jeff earned his PhD in Bible exposition and is the founder of the Safe Harbor Digital Community, an online space where all are welcome to explore God. I am your co-host, Angela, and I cannot wait to get to today's discussion. For this episode, we will be discussing Christianity and the American Church. Jeff, we received a few questions around this topic. One audience member asked if it is true that God has left this country. And another asked if the church will return to being faith-based and community-focused rather than remain a political tool. First, I have to say that it is quite concerning that people think God has abandoned this country and that the church is just some political tool. Is there any truth to this? Yeah, Angela, I want to agree. That is really concerning. It's actually kind of scary that, you know, these are what people think or the questions are asking. Um, but it's, you know, it's, without, it's not without merit. But what people need to know is that God never turns his back on us. It's actually quite the opposite. We're the ones who turn away from God. It's just in our rebellious nature. So what I would tell this audience member is that God loves us. He's always there for us. And when we do decide to return to him, not only is he there, but he's been searching for us. So you have to remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The son rebelled against his dad. He asked for his inheritance while the dad is still alive. And he moves away. And he starts living a life he knows his dad's not going to approve of. But then one day he realizes his mistake. And he realizes his life was better with his dad than it is how he's living today. So he makes this plan to return. And he knows, or he thinks anyway, that, oh, my dad's not going to forgive me. He's not going to accept me as a son. But maybe if I beg enough, he'll, he'll treat me as one of his hired servants. But what we find is, that his dad was watching for him the entire time. And when he sees his son, the dad runs to him and he embraces him. And he doesn't treat him as a hired servant. He fully restores him as his son. And the dad celebrates his son's return. And all the son had to do was return to his dad. His dad did the rest. And this is the same with God. He loves us and he's waiting for us to turn back to him. Now remember, he sent his one and only begotten son to die for us why we're still rebellious. Jeff, if this is the case, then why do people think God has left this country? Well, Angela, it's no secret that the American church is struggling. You just look at the research coming out of Gallup, Barner, and Pew. So 64% of Americans identify as Christians, yet only 40% of Americans are attending church regularly. 57% don't attend at all. And 17% have never attended. So why someone would think God abandoned the country? You might think that. However, the research shows us just the opposite. The country is turning away from God. There appears to be a real decline in the percentage of Americans that are Christians. So from 78% in 2007 to 64% in 2022. That's a 14% drop in 15 years. But what I find really surprising is the 24% of American Christians that are not attending church. What is keeping them away? Well, let's look at the research, right? 
40% of Americans have a favorable view of the church. This is the same number as those who attend regularly. So, you know, get 64% of Christian and 24% of those don't have a favorable view of the church. But what is more alarming is that only 30%, 32% of Americans consider clergy trustworthy. So only half American cr- Christians believe clergy can be trusted. So if we look at these numbers, of that 40% who are attending church regularly, 8% of that group don't even trust the pastor. So most Americans do not trust pastors or have a favorable view of the church. What happened? Are more people becoming atheists? Not at all. It's a credibility issue. Actually, 77% of Americans believe in God or a higher power. And 80% believe in supernatural dimensions. 74% want to grow spiritually. And 71% have a favorable view of Jesus. And 77% of teens are curious about Jesus. So we see this hunger for spirituality, and people do want to know Jesus. Jeff, from these numbers, it appears that people like, like Jesus, but don't trust the church. Exactly. Again, let's look at the research. 42% of non-believers do not believe in Christianity due to the hypocrisy they see in religious people's lives. And 68% of non-committed teens trust themselves to learn about Jesus more than they trust a pastor, church leader, or other Christians. In fact, the fastest growing religious affiliation group are, are what we call the nuns. And this is the group that they're only second to the Roman Catholic in this country. So you have people that want to grow spiritually. They want to know Jesus, but not going to church to learn about him. And that includes the 24% of Christians. So where is the disconnect? From what you shared, people think they can be Christians without the church? Well, Angela, unfortunately, I think the American ideal of rugged individual may have caused people to start believing this. They think they can do things without anyone else. They have this sense of self-sufficiency. However, they can't be any more wrong. Being a Christian means being part of a church. The church is the body of Christ. Unfortunately, what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a church has been lost in this country. Jeff, you raised two important points. So can we dig into that a little deeper? What does it mean to be a Christian and how has it been lost? Well, Angela, people need to understand that believing in Jesus is the beginning of the journey, not the end. Believing is not enough. There is a call to action. Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily and that we are to lose our lives for his sake. So take up, lose. These are actions that we're to perform. And Jesus tells us to measure the cost before we decide to follow him. Now, I don't want to get into a faith versus works discussion. And we know there's nothing we can do to earn God's grace. But there is action we must take. There seems to be some confusion on all what, what all this means. How are we to take up our cross and how are we to lose our lives for his? Well, I think the confusion starts with the term Christian and then what Jesus actually called his followers to be. Now, the term Christian only appeared three times in the New Testament. And it's not a term Jesus ever used. It actually started as a, a, as a derogatory term used by the Romans to describe followers of Jesus. The original Greek word means little Christ. Now, the church would later adopt this term because that's what they wanted to become. They wanted, they wanted to grow in Jesus' likeness. They wanted to become little Christ. 
So if Jesus didn't call his followers Christians, what did he call them? Well, Jesus called his followers to become disciples. And this term is used 261 times in the New Testament. And it was a language his people would have understood in that day. I believe John Mark Comer sums it up beautifully in his book, Practicing the Way. Right? Jesus was a rabbi. And there are several rabbis during his day. And students would seek to become disciples of these rabbis. And when they chose to become a disciple, they literally followed the rabbi wherever he went. They, they gave up everything, and they just lived with this rabbi, and they followed this rabbi. And there were three goals. The goal was to be with your rabbi. It was to become like your rabbi and to do as your rabbi did. Now Jesus offers the same open invitation to us when he tells us to follow him. And as his disciples, we are to be with him, we are to become like him, and we are to do as he did. If Christians are to lose their life for Jesus' sake, how are Christians to live? Well, Angel, Jesus told us, told his disciples that we were, they were to become witnesses to the nations, right? They were witnesses to the nations. It's the same thing God told the Israelites in the book of Isaiah. It's not something you do, it's something you are. Jesus, I mean, excuse me, Israel had witnessed God's redemptive power. So had Jesus' disciples witnessed his. Israel was a share of what they witnessed to the other nations, and the church is called to do the same. In the Old Testament, Israel was to live a life distinct from other nations. This life, also known as a Jewish identity, was to attract the attention of the other nations and make them curious about God. It would by the nature of how they lived that they would attract people to God. And we see evidence of this in the New Testament, where Jesus and his Jewish followers encountered Gentiles who knew God and some who even had converted to Judaism. And they were referred to as God-fearers and proselytes. The church is to do the same. We are to have a Christian identity that distinguishes us from non-believers. And this is not in a negative sense. We are to demonstrate a lifestyle that's more attractive than how people are living now. Well, this, this will make them curious and attract them to God. So we're to live as God intends us to live and share what he's doing in our lives. From the numbers, it doesn't appear that is happening. What about the idea that the church is now just a political tool? Well, I can understand why someone would think that, and for good reason. There's something we refer to as Christian nationalism, and I believe this is where this question is coming from. So in the Old Testament, Jesus, uh, God calls Israel to be his chosen people. They are to be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests, and through whom God is going to reveal himself. Now, without going into replacement theology, there are some who believe that church replaced Israel as God's chosen people. And some of these Christians even took it even further. Some of these American Christians took it even further. They believe that America is God's chosen people, and that this nation is to be the light against the world's darkness. In order to do this, we have to become a Christian nation that is governed by Christian faith. And to keep God's blessing upon this chosen nation, they have to get Christians elected who pass laws based upon Christian values. And they also believe that any laws or official that oppose Christian values is an attack by the enemy and must be defeated. They're using the political process to get the country back to being a Christian nation. Of course, as followers of Jesus, we know we're called to be the light. However, we're not to become a Christian nation, whether we are to become a nation of Christians. How is that different? They both sound the same. Well, there's a big difference, actually. 
Paul and the other disciples were not in Rome attempting to push legislation to force people to follow Christian ideals. They knew they cannot legislate morality. However, today it seems that we care more how you live than what you believe. And this is wrong. We need to be demonstrating a better way to live. That way, even if it's legal for you to do something, it doesn't mean that it's good for you. And we want people to make these choices freely and not be forced. For example, today in the state of Maryland, pot, cigarettes, alcohol are legal. Doesn't mean I'm going to start encouraging my children and grandchildren to start using. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's any less harmful. So it's my hope that through my words and my actions, that they'll see and understand that it is harmful and stay away from it. And this is what the church is to be doing. Demonstrating a lifestyle that will help people to understand and freely choose to avoid things that are harmful. So it won't matter if it's legal or not. They'll avoid them because they want to live a better life. So Christians should avoid politics and not vote? Oh, not at all. Americans, as Americans, we have the right to vote. And every American Christian not needs to exercise this right. And we should be voting for those things that reflect our values. So if you're a Christian, the candidates and laws you vote for should reflect your Christian values. However, there needs to be an acceptance that not everyone shares our values, and a knowledge that passing legislation is not going to change that. We know we cannot argue someone or force someone to Christ. We can only live as God calls us to live and share our testimony. The rest is up to the Holy Spirit. This is how we become a loving nation of Christians. God loves the church in China as much as he loves it here. And God is going to work to the church and not just through a specific country. So why isn't, it, why isn't the church doing this? And why does it have such a credibility issue? Well, for most Christians, you can't distinguish their lives from non-believers. And the church is not discipling the congregations. And what I mean by that is they're not helping them to grow in Jesus' likeness. Like I mentioned before, people are not believing in Christianity because of the hypocrisy that they see in the lives of religious people. And their concerns are not unwarranted. Now, don't get me wrong. There are several pastors out there faithfully shepherding their small congregation every week. It's the celebrity pastors trying to live this Hollywood lifestyle that catches the media attention. And some are even promising health and wealth that people only believe and pray hard enough. They're not sharing the truth. They're watering down the message. And time and time again, we see them fall due to scandals. Now, this congregation has been built around this one personality instead of Jesus. So when it does happen, it doesn't recover. And they end up damaging more people than they helped. And that certainly doesn't help the credibility of the church or the other pastors. Can the church recover from this? From the research you shared, it just seems that it's just getting worse. Angela, the church is not going away. Jesus tells us this. Congregations may go, but the church will remain. Jesus warned the churches in Revelations that some had drifted away from him. Now he's going to put out their light. But the church is the only body Jesus had commissioned for his work. And the church is growing in other parts of the world. Look at Africa. They have 630 million Christians alone. How do we recover? What does the church need to do? Well, the church needs to revisit Acts 2, 41-47. Now, most of us read through these verses without really processing what they're telling us. But what they're telling us or showing us is a model or the core values of a healthy church. 
you know, it says the followers committed themselves to biblical teaching. They worshipped and took meals together. They shared what they had with those in need. But most importantly, they had favor with all the people. Now, don't miss this. They were highly regarded. People respected them. People were being drawn to them. And people were becoming believers and followers. That's why they were considered such a threat. It was not some program to lure people in. It was how they lived that attracted people to want to know and follow Jesus. And the church today can learn from the early church. Evangelism and discipleship are not a program. They have to be the heart of your church. This is the mission Jesus gave us. It's called the Great Commission. We find in Matthew 28. He said, go out and make disciples. That's evangelism. Then he said, teach them all that I commanded you. That is discipleship. So here at Safe Harbor, our mission is to help people to know Christ and to grow in his likeness. And this is completely in line with what Jesus commanded us. So it is just the church. So is it just the church that needs to change? No, every believer must be doing this. Like the early believers, you have to be his witness and you have to share what God's doing in your life. And this has only happened if people being transformed into his likeness. Now, I challenge every Christian to ask themselves, are they being transformed? Now, the church has a role in this. They have to help people learn how to develop a deeper relationship with God so they may experience this transformational power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Plus, the church needs to challenge its members. They need to hold them accountable. They have to show what it means to be a member besides regular worship attendance and paying your tithes. How do you think the church should challenge their members? Well, Angela, too often I hear church leaders saying they can't ask too much from their members because people have work, uh, kids got soccer games, and they give a whole list of other responsibilities. And they're afraid if they ask them too much, they're going to leave. Well, I challenge that. We're talking about eternal consequences. What could be more important? So the church needs to stop putting itself second in people's lives. And to be honest, I believe people want to be challenged. People want to grow spiritually. They don't want to just be passive audience members during worship service. And the only way they're going to experience a real transformation is by pursuing a deeper relationship with God. I see what you're saying. Being part of the church is more than a Sunday service. Ultimately, the church is the people. It's not the building. And as we read in Acts 2, it's a group of people sharing life together. Now it's a responsibility of those called to lead the church to help their members to grow. And as the people grow, they'll become more like Christ, and they'll share their testimonies. This will attract the curiosity of others and draw them to God. This is how God reaches people. He works through all those who love and follow Him. And this is what it means to be a member of the church. Jeff, do we know what a transformed Christian even looks like? And how does it distinguish itself from others? Well, Jesus shared what a fully transformed Christian looks like. He molded it for us. And he told us how we are to live during the Sermon on the Mount. Now you're going to have people argue that Jesus shared some ideals and it's not possible to live them out. However, I'm going to agree with those who believe that this is how Jesus lived and this is how he called his disciples to live. Jesus was fully human and he was subject to the same temptations as we experience. Yet his life demonstrated how it's possible to live such a lifestyle through the power of the Holy Spirit. So no matter how imperfect we begin and no matter how many times we fail, this is the life we're called to live. 
And this is the lifestyle that the Holy Spirit is transforming us to. It's not going to be perfect. We won't reach perfection until the end. Jeff, I just want to make sure we answered our audience's question. Do you believe the church will return to being faith-based and community-focused? Angela, I believe the church is both these things today. Of course, there's some churches out there no longer Christ-centered, and they lost touch with their community. We also see the rise in Christian nationalism as the world continues to transform into this digital age. People fear change, and they want to hold on to what they know. They view everything else as a threat. So does the American church need help? Yes, it does. Is there a pathway to recover? Of course. God gives us the model of a healthy church in Acts 2. Will we continue to have scandals and people use God's name to push their own agendas? Without a doubt. It's been an issue since the church's inception, and it's going to continue until Jesus returns. However, the church is the body of Christ. He works through the church to restore his people. So what advice would you give Christians listening to this podcast today? Well, I would first I would suggest those who are not currently part of the church to find one that is Christ-centered and reflects the values described in Acts 2, 41 to 47. You can't be part of the body of Christ away from the church. And for those that are part of the church, I would ask if my church was highly regarded in the community. Or another way I had heard it put recently, would the community miss your local church if it closed today? Right. The other thing I would ask is whether I'm being shown how to grow in Christ. And if not, I would challenge my church leadership. A relationship with God is a beautiful thing. The deeper it becomes, the more you experience his transforming power. Anxiety and fear melt away as you enjoy his peace. You find that your life really does change. And you have power over the things you no longer wish to do. Now, it's a journey, and it takes intentionality, but it's a beautiful journey. And it's a journey I pray everyone will join in one day. Thank you, Jeff. I can see now why our audience members would ask these questions. This really opened my eyes to the state of things. I hope this was helpful to those who share these same concerns, and that you have a better understanding of the church and what it means to be a Christian. Thank you, everyone, for being part of the Know God podcast. Please join us every Monday as we learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you found this episode helpful, please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. Also, please join the Safe Harbor community at digitalsafeharbor.com, a safe online space where you can ask questions, share your experiences and struggles, and engage in honest conversation. Until next week, have a great day and God bless.